Since 1987, Gary Housedew has been a fixture in sports media throughout Northeast Ohio. And since his first diagnosis in March of 2017, he's also a two-time cancer survivor. And now, Gary's answering the bell for round three in his fight with cancer, a fight that has enhanced his passion for life. Today, Gary shares some of his life passions from sports and photography over the years through conversation with some of the incredible people, including athletes and coaches that he's forged relationships with in public. These are Gary's journeys along his path. This is House Money. To live like you were dying. And hello, everybody, and welcome to House Money. My name's Gary House, too. Have a great podcast for you today. A good friend of mine, Jack Park, is going to join us. So many stories to tell, so much good information he has. Uh, you might need a notebook, really, if you want to follow along with us. But you know, if you have a chance, uh, go for a long walk uh, in the park or in the gym on the treadmill and put your headphones in, and you'll really get some good information. If you love Ohio State football, this is a guy you want to really just have a chance to just listen to what he's saying. So many stories of great Buckeyes of the past. I asked him about some of our coaches of the past. Uh, Maurice Claret, we talked about so many good things. His career, uh, He's from. he went to uh, graduate school in Pitt uh, in the Matt Cavanaugh, Tony Dorsett years. Just a great individual. Uh, knows so many great Ohio State people. And it maybe could have never happened. He'll explain his career a little bit and some of the great events and people he's met along the way. And we'll be back in just a little bit after we hear from our sponsor, and we'll be talking with Jack Park, Ohio State historian. Stick around. You really, really, really want to hear what some of the things that he has to say. Uh, you may find yourself in some difficulty this winter. Don't get whacked by high heating bills. Call Michael at MP Vivo Heating and Air Conditioning. Michael is a trusted friend who will be able to help you with many things, like getting a 95% high-efficiency furnace this winter from Rude. Michael relies on Rude. So should you. Call MP Vivo Heating and Air Conditioning for a free estimate. 330-259-0486. And take care of your heating and air situation. And welcome to the program, Jack Park, the legendary Jack Park, if I may ask. I'm sure he won't describe himself that way, but he's uh, commonly known as Ohio State historian. I guess that's a good title, but he has many more titles, many more jobs, many more duties that he performs, and uh, he just never stops. Jack Park, welcome to my podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time to being on with us. I want to introduce some of my friends to let them know who you are, and I, I, I'm grateful for you to take some time and, and share your knowledge and everything else with us today. Well, Gary, it's my pleasure to be with you. You and I have known each other a long time, and if it hadn't been for Ohio State football, we probably wouldn't be friends. We might not even know each other. So uh, it's great to talk with you. I do miss seeing you this fall. It'll be the first time in many, many years that we haven't connected, at least at some of the games. I think the last time you and I saw each other 
face to face was at the uh, the Big Ten title yep. game over in, in Indianapolis last December. You are correct, and so that's coming up on a year now. But uh, hey, I hope you're doing well, and I, I look forward to talking with you here this evening. Well, I'm I'm doing well, thank God, Jack. Obviously, you know my cancer is still here, but we're doing our best to keep life as normal as it right. can be. Other than, other than the COVID, everything else would be would be great, I assume. But um, yep. it, it is what it is. And Jack, let me ask you real quick. Let's dive kind of into the Buckeyes, and then we'll we'll take a break and then maybe talk about your career uh, what are your thoughts just in general I, I guess we're all happy that we're playing football we didn't get to play last Saturday unfortunately but your thoughts in general on the season and, and are you expecting a lot uh, of the Buckeyes and how they how this team even ranks historically can you give us a little little bit of taste of that before we move on yeah, well, I do. I think this is. I think this could be one of the really great, if not greatest, Ohio State football teams of all time because of, of the multitude of talent uh, at, on both sides of the football, and they're pretty deep. I mean, there's a couple things. Maybe we need still a little more strength at linebacker. Defensive backs probably need a little bit more experience there. We've got a great, great coaching staff. Uh, I wouldn't trade Ryan Day for any head coach in the country. I think he's got a great staff here and everything now. This is a real unusual season when, you know, until late September, early October, we don't even know if we're going to play, and then we don't even play our first game until the 24th of October, and then with, you know, missing the game at Maryland, uh, the, what was the, our fourth game of the season, and who knows, we might miss another game or something because of the virus, so it's going to be hard to really compare, I think, this team with some other teams, depending on how the season finishes out, and you know we could have you could I think I could see a national championship game with a team uh, maybe only had about six or seven games uh, under its belt all season and somebody else has played eleven or twelve games and under normal circumstances that wouldn't happen so I think everybody's making the best of what's been a very very difficult situation but as far as talent this Ohio State team really has it. How could you compare even somebody like Justin Fields to what we've seen in the past? Is that fair to even try to bring up any comparisons, or doesn't has he proved anything yet? Rather than he's is kind of talented, obviously. Yeah, I think no, I think it's fair now because he's had he's into his second season right now, and he's certainly going to get down as one of the very very highest rated quarterbacks in Ohio State history. I mean, this guy doesn't miss much at all. I mean, it's, it's, it's not only his passing. He is in charge of that team out there. He's, he, he's really the field general type of quarterback you want. He seems to have the respect and everything that you have to have if you're going to be the leader. And he has the respect of all the other players and everything. Uh, he doesn't make very, very many mistakes. I mean, what was that first game? He was 20 out of 21 in completions. And uh, he, he, you know, just uh, let's just hope the young man doesn't get hurt. I probably don't even want to mention that. That might be one thing on this team that is still a little bit of a risk. We do not have a tremendously experienced uh, second and third team quarterbacks. So if we have any other upcoming injuries, we certainly don't want that to be a quarterback naturally there. But I would compare him very fav- very much right up there with, uh, uh, say, let's say Rex Kern of the great 1968-69-70 teams. Uh, J.T. Barrett, it's hard to argue in his four-year career here and how he came out and performed and everything like that. And uh, another quarterback that didn't play a whole lot because he was he was all basically late in his junior year before he even got a chance, but Cardale Jones. Wow. And Cardale Jones came off the bench as a third-string quarterback there in 2000 
in 14 when uh, when JT got hurt in the uh, Michigan game, and he took us. We were underdogs in three straight games: Wisconsin, Alabama, and Oregon. And Cardale Jones took us to three consecutive victories in the national championship. Now that's a short period of time. That's three games. But uh, this kid had led us to a national title. He never even started a home game yet. <laughs> he didn't start his first home game until the next season. And I think he'll always have a special place in Ohio State history as far as quarterbacks goes. you got to think also of Craig Krenzel. That, that oh, was my a, goodness. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Where does Craig Krenzel fit into this group? He's Go right ahead. in there, yep. the 2002 national championship team. Craig probably was as good a field general as we ever had, too, in terms of managing the team. He was a real good runner. He was really a good passer, but he knew what was going on on that field. He could call the audibles about as good as anybody. He had command of the team, and he just uh, he just performed at the highest level, particularly in that national championship game, the double overtime game. Uh, yeah, we're down to one play. We've got, I think it's third and 14 or something like that, or fourth and 14, rather. And he's able to connect and, and, and move us in there and eventually win a national title. And that will always be a very, very special year. We had so many close calls in 2002. That was Jim Trestle, uh, just his second year at the helm. And Holy uh, Buckeye. Holy Buckeye. Yeah, yeah. Holy Buckeye there. You know, Jim was 7-5 and five in his first year, and everybody's pretty happy. I mean, we thought we'd have a better record his second year, but I don't think anybody in their wildest imagination thought Ohio State would go to 14-0 and in his second year, and uh, that's a very special season then just because of how that all happened, too. And a lot of games there uh, came right down to the last two or three plays of the game. In fact, we won. We had never played in an overtime game before, and we almost lost out at Illinois the week before the Michigan game. That game went into overtime, first overtime game Ohio State has ever had. And I think in all reality, we had a couple of calls, a couple of officiated calls that kind of went our way uh, that kept us in the game, and we were eventually able to win it uh, with a Maurice Hall touchdown there. And so it's just a great, great season. Oh, Jack, you, I, I just can go on. I'm just smiling as you're talking. But, you know, we have a lot, whole lot to talk about. But, but let me ask you, Jack, uh, if, if COVID wasn't around, how good would this can this team would have been? I mean, are they as but have they done it yet? I mean, is that the thing? We're, we're already talking about Justin Fields with all the rest of the you know national championship quarterbacks but um you know he needs to win one doesn't he I'm just saying right we need yeah so is, he, he needs to win one there's no question about it I think have it not been for the co the uh, the virus situation here and this had been a normal football season for one thing and of course this goes for every other team across the country too not just Ohio State but the coaches could have spent so much more time coaching as opposed to all the time that they've had to take just to basically make it a safe environment for the team and everything. And uh, it's my understanding that most of the coaches, if not all of the coaches, don't go home. They're actually staying at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center or close by there. Uh, A lot of them, of course, have families and smaller children and everything like that. And they're making quite a personal sacrifice uh, being away from their families for weeks at a time here so they can basically devote their entire attention to this Ohio State football program. So there's been a lot of other elements this fall that have taken so much time away from what would have been pure football. And uh, I think we have to let the season play out to see how that maybe 
uh, does affect us. I hope it doesn't affect us at all, but it's just a very different season, Gary. Well, well let's let's look at the bright side here while we're still talking about just the Buckeyes right now before we move on. Uh, let's hope and things follow as the way we think and want, and we end up uh, you know doing eight wins or seven wins, six wins, whatever we end up. We get play for the Big Ten championship and we advance. Uh, if, if, if this is a championship, either way, right? It doesn't. The season it's twenty twenty. There's no rules, so who cares? It's another national championship if it gets that far. Is that right, Jack? Is that that's, is that how you look at it? That's and, exactly how I look at it. And uh, uh, I also last night. Anybody that watched that Wisconsin Michigan game as I did, I watched every play of it. And this Wisconsin team is for real. Uh, Boy, this team is for real, I think, and uh, they, that was only their second game. But, Jack, they course, beat Minnesota and Michigan. Let's just keep that in mind, right. but go ahead. Yeah, well, and then, you know, Michigan, uh, I think it's been probably – Michigan and Penn State certainly have been the two disappointments in the league thus far this year. And uh, But I thought the way Wisconsin handled Michigan at Michigan last night uh, made me think that uh, assuming we make it to the uh, championship game of the Big Ten – and I would think Wisconsin has odds on, would be the odds-on favorite to come in from the West. So we would probably end up playing them on the 19th of December for the title. Now, we played them twice last year. Uh, we beat them in the regular season, and, of course, we beat them in the championship game. We do not play them in the regular season this year. But Paul Christ, I think, is proving himself to be an outstanding coach up there. And they turn out linemen at Wisconsin uh, <laughs> just like, uh, you know, uh, Hershey turns out chocolate. <laughs> they, so Jack, they, they do. Are they you, really supply the linemen. Are you discounting Northwestern coming up then? Uh, no, they're 4-0. I think Pat Fitzgerald's done a real good – is doing a great job there. And they're going to be – I think they're going to probably end up pretty close to the top. I don't see them uh, being quite at the same level – at least at this time, as Wisconsin, though, from what I've seen of Northwestern thus far. So you expect Wisconsin to beat Northwestern, and then I do. How about Indiana and Ohio State? Real quick, let's get your thoughts. And it, it's a good team, but are they ready for our caliber of team well, that they're going to play? We don't know. I mean, this is so unusual to see uh, Indiana at four and zero. Basically, uh, it's interesting. They have in the, the last four times. That Indiana has been four and zero to start a season. By a real coincidence, they have played Ohio State in the fifth game, and that's the way it's going to be uh, this Saturday. In the first three times that that happened, Ohio State tied them in one game and beat Indiana in the other two. So in each of those three previous cases, Ohio State did beat uh, break Indiana's four-game winning streak. Now, of course, that's. That's just kind of a nice little historical type thing. It has nothing to do with what they are, what they're going to be like tomorrow, or I mean Saturday coming up and everything like that. But they have a lot of strength. I mean, they really, uh, uh, I mean, I think Tom Allen has done a great job out there. He is probably uh, even the most avid Indiana fans. I, I think that probably he and his team maybe have exceeded their expectations. And so this might be the toughest game we have this year. I mean, uh up until the championship game. But, I mean, you know, we play, of course, we play Indiana coming up Saturday. And, uh, of course, we missed the Maryland game. Then we have Illinois, Michigan State, and Michigan. And on paper, none of those three look to be nearly as strong as Indiana. 
And how many years could you say that Michigan State and Michigan, neither one of them, looked to be as strong as Indiana? <laughs> it's an unusual year, Gary, it, without question. Yeah, they've already beat, what, Michigan and Penn State in the same year. That's incredible yeah. as it is. Uh, yeah. let, let me ask you, as, when you when you look at, at the situation, um, how do you how do you view the everything that's going on and you know the, how is it how do you reflect on it you know well pers- personally I, I, yeah personal i think it's it's kind of a fun season i sure would like to be at the stadium covering the games from there instead of uh, my uh family room here and everything like that i'm sure you would be too but hey we're making the best of it and everything and uh uh, at least we have football. That's the main thing going on. And so uh, I think everybody's doing the best they can to make uh, things out of it. I would say one more thing about Indiana. Yes. Uh, in, at, they play here in Columbus, of course, Saturday. Uh, in two weeks, they play Wisconsin at Madison. That's on December 5th, the first Saturday of December. And uh, that, you know, I, I hope Indiana has at least one loss by that time. I think they will. Yes. But if anybody in the way of Wisconsin can probably knock them off, I think it probably would be Indiana because uh, although, uh, uh, well, of course, Wisconsin beat Michigan, uh, you know, last night, and then uh, they've got Northwestern coming up on Saturday, and then Minnesota, who's been somewhat of a disappointment, but then they've got Indiana and Iowa. Iowa's come on, is coming on a lot stronger now. It's a typical Kirk Ferentz team. Sometimes they get off to a slow start, and then they win some games that you think that they wouldn't have a chance to win. So uh, Iowa could still play a, uh, at least some role, I think, in that uh, in that uh, uh, Western Division. Jack, before we move on, it, it, just real quick, can you give us the quick history, or what you know of Indiana, the success they've had, uh, the Rose Bowls, anything that – just give us a quick – who is Indiana from all your studies over the years, just real quickly, if you could. Yeah, they've only ever played in one Rose Bowl, and that was at the end of the 67 season. Uh, there was a three-way tie for the Big Ten in 1967, and in that time it was the Big Ten. There were only ten teams in the league, and uh, the three teams that tied for the title, because you didn't have playoffs in or anything like that, you simply, if you ended up with the same record, then you just simply had a co-championship, and this was a three-way championship with Minnesota, Purdue, and Indiana. And Indiana got the nod to go to the Rose Bowl. They always had votes then of the, of the 10 athletic directors. Uh, kind of an interesting thing, which is somewhat related to Woody Hayes in Ohio State. The Indiana coach that year was Johnny Pont. And for longtime followers of Big Ten football, they'll remember that name, Johnny Pont. He had a lot of success at Indiana. I'm not sure what the reasons were. He later left Indiana and went to Northwestern and coached up there a few years and had some pretty good teams up there. But he played his college football at Miami of Ohio under Woody Hayes. And uh, Woody was only there two years, but they only lost one game that second year. Uh, They won at that time what was the Salad Bowl. And, of course, two of his senior players on that team that year, two of Woody's senior players, were Johnny Punt, and the other one, of course, was Bo Beckler. <laughs> so as you look back in history now, gee, that's 70 years ago. And, oh. of course, those two guys went on to become pretty good coaches. Well, Indiana did lose that Rose Bowl. and uh, But they, since we now go to a lot more bowl games, uh, the uh, Indiana's had some pretty good success in their bowls and everything like that. You know, we're, we're playing Indiana, of course, this, this week. And Woody Hayes' very last victory – at Ohio State was at Indiana. 
and it was against uh, a pretty good team coached by Lee Corso. Yeah. And it was on the 18th of November of 1978. Uh, the Buckeyes won the game 21-18. Uh, to 18. The lead changed hands about three times. And Mike Guess intercepted an Indiana pass deep in Ohio State territory with about a minute and 37 seconds to go in the game to save that victory. Nobody attending that game on the 18th of November of 1978 over at Bloomington, Indiana, could ever have known that that would be Woody Hayes' last victory. Wow. We lost at home the next week to Michigan, and, of course, we yeah. lost in the Gator Bowl, and oh boy. Uh, Coach Hayes' uh, oh career boy. came to a very abrupt end after that wow. Gator Bowl. So wow. his last victory was over Lee Corso's uh, Indiana team 21-18 to in uh, 1978. So uh, let me just ask you, get you on the record, are you expecting a Buckeye win on, on Saturday, next Saturday? Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm expecting a Buckeye win, and I would, I'm going to guess, uh, uh, I am a guesser at this. I'm, I'm sometimes <laughs> the world's worst guy at predicting. A close friend of mine tells me, Gary, every time, I, I predict the score on the radio, you know, with, <laughs> I'm on with Anthony Rothman and his crew on 97.1 The Fan on the pregame show every Saturday, and Anthony always asks me to predict the score. And sometimes I'm so off, far off, and one of my close friends likes to rib me about this. He <laughs> says, you know, Jack, you're much better at looking back than you are looking ahead. <laughs> so when you ask me to predict the score, I'm not always the best, but I like us by about 14 to 17 points Saturday. If I had to predict the score, I'd predict 41 to 24. Nice. Good to hear that from you. Boy, it's so much information. We're only getting started. We're going to take a quick time out and be right back. Thank you, Jack. Don't get whacked by high heating bills. Call Michael at MP Vivo Heating and Air Conditioning, 330-259-0486. Michael is a trusted friend who will be able to help you with many things and take care of your heating and air situation. And welcome back to the program. Uh, Jack Park is our guest. Uh, so much information already, and we've only just begun, Jack. Um, uh, who is Jack Park? I mean, obviously he's a, a guy that knows a lot about Ohio State football. He does some radio shows, some uh, television appearances, uh, game day stuff. Who's who's Jack Park and how did he get there? Is that a fair question for you to even like maybe start somewhere? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I think sometimes uh, in life, uh, sometimes we end up in a career that's quite different than what we started in. You know, that happens to a lot of people, sometimes by choice, sometimes by chance, sometimes by luck, I guess you might say. And uh, I grew up as a, uh, a kid here in central Ohio in a, a relatively small town, almost an hour outside of Columbus, in Perry County, New Lexington, Ohio. I'm very, very proud of uh, my heritage there. Uh, I played all the high school sports there. I probably could not have done that had I gone to one of the, you know, the, the huge uh, suburban schools here in Columbus where all my kids went to school and everything like that. But uh, I got my taste for football quite a bit there playing high school football and just loved it. And uh, was fortunate as a kid. Our family went to the Ohio State football games and and uh, and got to see them and everything. And uh, uh, basically, what happened, Gary? Uh, I, I, I after Ohio State, I went to Pittsburgh and went through graduate school at the University of Pittsburgh. And uh, I'm a big fan of the Pitt Panthers, particularly. I'm going back now to the Tony Dorsett area era where Pitt won the 1976 national championship and that Pittsburgh football in Pittsburgh in that decade of the 1970s uh. was really something you had the Panthers with Johnny Majors 
and of course in uh, Matt Cavanaugh uh, from Youngstown, Ohio. Exactly, he was the quarterback uh, when when uh, uh, when Ohio State won that night or, or Pitt won that national title in 1976. Yes, and then uh, after Dorsett had been gone, Cavanaugh was there one more year. There were some linebackers on those. Pit teams from Youngstown too, by the name of Pelusi. Yes, weren't there about three Pelusi brothers oh, out of uh, Youngstown Jeff and, Cheney? Yeah, there was a few. They were all good. Yeah, Youngstown Cheney, Sensori, all yeah. those guys were from. I think had, were from Youngstown yeah, connections. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pitt has always had a lot of Ohio players on the team there, and then Dan Marino kind of came along, and of course they, Pitt had great success then. But while all that was going on, a guy out of Cleveland, by the name of Chuck Knoll, who played his college football at the University of Dayton had never been a head coach before. And Art Rooney hired him in 1969. I think he hired him because Rooney was a good man in the city and very charitable, but he was fairly uh, uh, stingy, too, you might say, basically. A little frugal on the side, and uh, he didn't pay the big salaries to experienced coaches. And, boy, he got a diamond in the rough when he got Chuck Knoll because Knoll's first four draft choices – in 1974, ended up in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I mean, he could draft people like I think almost no other coach. He really had that ability. And uh, let's see if I can name those four. You can probably help me on this, Gary. The first one was Lynn Swan. Yeah. And then John Stallworth was another one. Okay. Uh, there was a center out of Wisconsin by the name <laughs> of uh, Mike. Yeah, yeah, I know. Mike Webster. Webster, Mike yeah, okay. Webster. Yeah, and then who was who was the linebacker from Kent State? <laughs> I don't. I have no idea. I'm a Browns fan. I, don't, okay. I have no idea but who it is. It was a linebacker. I mean, <laughs> it's uh, Jack Lambert. Uh, yeah, Jack Lambert. Jack Lambert. All oh, I thought you were those a team. Guys, yeah, those were his first four draft oh, choices unbelievable. in 74. Yeah, yeah, and they yeah. ended up in the Pro Hall of Fame. So, yeah. anyway, the, the Steelers <laughs> won four Super Bowls within a period of six years. And uh, I'm not taking uh, anything of Vince, away from Vince Lombardi. Uh, Lombardi's teams won five in seven years. They won five NFL titles, including the first two Super Bowls. But the National Football League at that time was only 12 teams. And when Noel won it, it you know, they'd merged with the American League, and now we're up to 32 teams. And there's a difference there. We're in the league's almost three times as big. And uh, so it's just a great, great time to be in Pittsburgh, and I've always uh, just admired what Chuck Noll hey, did. Jack, in uh, that in that football. in that context, how did the Browns' titles match up to the Steelers? And then we'll move on because we were talking about Buckeyes here. How yeah, do- the Browns have won most of their titles, of course, way back when Paul Brown started the Paul Brown uh, started the uh, Cleveland Browns in 1946. And that was an upstart league. It was uh, tr- started in 1946. It was set to uh, start right after World War II. It was called the All-American Conference, and there were eight teams. And the league basically folded after the fourth year because the Browns dominated it so much. that I mean, the other teams couldn't compete. They couldn't get a lot of uh, uh, fans there and everything. They were just too good for the league, basically. And so when that league folded at the end of the 1949 season, the Cleveland Browns, along with the uh, San Francisco 49ers and the Baltimore Colts, were taken into the National Football League as, in in effect, expansion teams. And the other five teams just simply folded and were gone. And one of the most remarkable things, I think, in Cleveland Browns history, uh, the well-established National Football League made so much fun of this upstart league, and now we're bringing in three teams that 
just have only played four years and and I think Elmer Layden, he was the, he was the commissioner of the National Football League at that time. Of course, he was such a great coach and player at Notre Dame back in the 30s. But Elmer made a comment one time. He was asked, "How do you think the Browns will do in this new when they get into the National Football League?" And he's supposed to have said something like, "Well, now they're going to have to start playing with a real football." <laughs> and it was kind of a snub. Basically, it was a real kind of a snap in the face. And, you know, the Cleveland Browns in their very first year going into the National Football League won the NFL title that year. And I still think that's one of the greatest moments in sports in uh, Cleveland history. I mean, you know, the Indians won couple World Series back at that time with Lou Boudreaux. And, uh, 48 was uh, the last one. Yeah, and of course, Brown won a lot of titles there. And, of course, the 1964 team uh, beat the Colts 27 to nothing. But I, I think that's the last uh, time, of course, the Cleveland Browns have come close to winning an NFL title. Oh, okay. Um, how are the Buckeyes doing, Jack? Um, what's, you, now, let me ask you this. Do I assume that you have a, a great memory? Is that just part of what you found out? Is there anything different about your yeah. memory that, that uh, you're able to do all this well, in so many yeah. different directions? I have. I guess I've been told in, a couple times and been tested a little bit, not seriously, but I have a photographic memory. Uh, after I finished school at Pitt, I went into the business world, and I uh, became a CPA, and my goal was to – become as good as I could be in the business world, and I was very fortunate. Uh, one of the top 10 teams in the Fortune 500 back at that time was the Westinghouse Electric Corporation. Great, great corporation there in Pittsburgh, founded by George Westinghouse uh, way back in the 1800s. And I got a job with them, and I mean, I just, I was so fortunate to get that job, and, and I was going to move up, and my first promotion was, of all things, they transferred me to Columbus, Ohio, where, in the area where I'd grown up here. At that time, Westinghouse had a huge appliance plant on the west side here that manufactured uh, major appliances, basically refrigerators, dishwashers, uh, uh, laundromats, things like that. And uh, I came in as the, uh, the assistant controller, and the company, that division later changed hands a little bit. We became part of White. And I became the chief financial officer there. So I stayed there, uh, let's see, for about 15 years. And then I decided I wanted to do a couple things a little bit different. And uh, uh, I started I started doing a lot of public speaking. I taught at Franklin University one night a week in accounting and just really enjoyed that. And I taught an undergraduate accounting course. And after so many years, that gave me a little bit of speaking ability. So I decided to Purdue, uh, pursue uh, basically uh, professional speaking, and uh, I interviewed so many people and went so many different places and put the program together with the PowerPoint slides, and the program I do is called The Leadership Secrets of Football's Master Coaches, and a lot of it, uh, Gary, is based around the Vince Lombardi leadership model. In other words... Lombardi had a leadership model that basically he developed himself, and he used that model uh, to turn the Green Bay Packers around. In fact, when Lombardi went to Green Bay, they hadn't had a winning season in 13 years. They'd only won one game the year before he got there. He had a winning season the first year. He went to the NFL title game the second year. They barely lost to the Philadelphia Eagles at Old Franklin Field there in Philadelphia, and then they won five of the next seven titles. And that leadership model really worked. And I would recommend, that's been a long time ago, but I would rec- recommend to anybody today, if you're, if you're 
uh, wanting to develop your leadership skills, particularly for some younger people that are starting their way up the corporate ladder, uh, get the book, What It Takes to Be Number One. And it was written by Vince Lombardi Jr., uh, Coach Lombardi's son. It was written after, actually after Coach Lombardi passed away. But he had all these materials. I mean, he was so well organized. And uh, if you really want to learn leadership, that's where I learned so much in that Vince Lombardi leadership model. So what I decided to do then was put together this speech, The Leadership Secrets of Football's Master Coaches, and basically explain to executives and companies and so forth how the Packers did that and then relate that to the business world. So the business organizations and associations can do exactly the same thing that Lombardi did. His world just happened to be football. But leadership is still leadership. And you have to change a little bit, but it's basically not much different in the corporate world than it would be for a nonprofit or for a football team or anything like that. And uh, so basically, I was very fortunate with that program. Uh, a lot of companies liked it. Uh, I think sometimes it was rated a little bit higher by them than it really was because it was so much different. It wasn't just the old, dry leadership PowerPoint stuff. Uh, you know, I brought in a lot of pictures of some of the great players and what they did and how they developed their leadership talent. So before, I, I still will do that, although the speaking business now in the last 10 months has, of course, uh, come to a halt pretty much there. But I ended up doing that program in, uh, oh, about 1,500 times in 47 different states across the country. And uh, that was over about a 17-year period of time. Uh, the worst part about it was the travel. There's no question about it. <laughs> Everything else was good, except the, all the travel, you know, to do that. But that was part of the job and uh, doing that. And uh, basically, that's uh, Jack. That, let me let me I'm ask doing. let me ask you this. Um, it, when you got your job at Columbus, and you, 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 I guess you moved there and started eventually becoming the Ohio State historian. Could you have been like a pit historian if you like stayed in Pittsburgh? Would this have been? Would you have been like a pit historian, or would you still have been an Ohio State guy, or what? I, I don't would, think I would have been either one. Okay. If I just stayed in Pittsburgh, uh, in fact, at that time. Pitt, uh, at that time, Westinghouse had a lot of, of, uh, of manufacturing work that they did uh, in Philadelphia and uh, in Maryland, in Baltimore, and then a lot in Pittsburgh. And uh, I guess it's coming up, I mean, if they had said, hey, we got, you know, this East Pittsburgh plant uh, here, but we've got a great job for you in, uh, in, in, in Philadelphia. Would you like to transfer? I would have, tra- I would have transferred there in a heartbeat on the way up. I mean, if that would have helped my career and I had to work hard and then you, you got to make sure you do the job or you won't keep the job. And the same thing in Baltimore. So me getting transferred to Columbus was just, uh, something that happened. It just simply happened. And if that hadn't happened, I don't, I would still have been a very, very strong Ohio state football fan, but not living in Columbus and getting contacted with the radio stations and all that, uh, Everything else that has happened in my career and the books that I've written, I've written five books on Ohio State football. Uh, I don't think, Gary, any of that would ever have happened. Yes, and I have my Buckeye Reflections book right in front of me that's autographed, I might add, by you and Maureen, I might, I might say. Jack, um, so when did Jack Park become Jack Park? Uh, you know, when, like, we could talk forever, obviously, but let's kind of just get to the business here. And what's, which Jack, when did he become the guy that everybody knows now? And how does your career and life evolve because, because everybody adores you in so many different ways, and I'm one of the people? Well, I, uh, I attended a, uh, 
a Boy Scout Eagle Scout dinner one February, uh, a last-minute replacement for my boss. His name was Gil Diekman. He was the general manager and vice president of the Westinghouse uh, plant here in Columbus. And Westinghouse always sponsors these Eagle Scouts. You probably have some listeners tonight that are Eagle Scouts, I'm sure, Gary. And there's a banquet every February, and they have companies that, you know, sponsor them and obviously help pay for the dinner. And uh, he couldn't go that night. It was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, so he says, this is short notice. Would you, would you go out and represent Westinghouse? And I said, sure. And it just so happened that the speaker that night was John Gordon, who was the uh, sports director at what at that time was WBNS Radio, which is now Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. And I happened to be sitting at the same table with John. And we talked, and of course he came here. He was the play-by-play voice of the Columbus Clippers, in addition to doing uh, Ohio State games. And so we talked a lot about sports and everything like that. When that dinner was over, he came up to me and he said, I'm starting a sports talk show here in Columbus this fall. And this was sports talk was somewhat new then. It wasn't a 24-hour thing, but it would go maybe from 7 to 11 or something like that. And then they played music during the day and news yeah. and all that other stuff. And But he says, I'm starting a sports talk show, and with the football season coming up, uh, I, I, I'd like to call you, and I'd like to have you come in and be my guest some night. And so he did. And I went in. It was early in the season. It was, I think, uh, we played one game. And I went in. It was on a Thursday night, and I was supposed to be on the air with him for about, oh, 25 or 30 minutes. And I think he was going to be at the station. I mean, at the stadium, and I'd be at the station. And then they were going to go to the Clippers game. Well, when I got there, it was just a downpour of rain that evening. I mean, everything was rained out. The Clippers game was rained out. And I got down to the station and got in there, and I'd never uh, been on the radio before. And he said, we're going to go on the air at 7.05, right after the news. And he says, you know, I, I want you to stay about 30, 35 minutes. Can you stay for the first hour? I don't have anything planned, he said. The game has rained out. And I said, sure. So we started talking about Ohio State football. And now, this is a call-in show a lot at that time. It was such a rainy night. Everybody was home. So there were a lot of calls coming in. At the end of the first hour, he said to me, this is going pretty well. He said, uh, I don't have anything planned for the next hour. Could you stay another hour? Now, he's talking to me off the air. I said, yeah, I can stay another hour. And by close to the end of the second hour, he goes and he says, he gives me the three fingers. Could you stay for a third hour? And I said, sure, I can stay for a third hour. And so that's how it got started. And then uh, the manager of the station at that time, general manager, was a man named Tom Stewart. And Tom was listening to this at home that night. And let's see, that was a Thursday night. I'd say the next Monday or Tuesday afternoon, he called me at my office, told, introduced himself, told me who he was, and he said, we really like the information you provided. Would you like to start coming to work for the station on a very small part-time basis on Saturdays? And I said, sure. And that's how it all got started, really. Wow. So when people ask you about Ohio State, how do you, where do you begin? And, or do they, do they have to ask you something specific? Or can you just give a date and you can know every game? Or what, what is the extent of the knowledge that you share with people when when they yeah, ask you a question. Some of it, uh, being a CPA and always having a love for numbers, and we all have different 
uh, you know, talents in certain areas, and I'm one of the most mechanic, least mechanically able guys you'll ever meet, Gary. I mean, I can change a light bulb, but that's about it. So a lot of people had, my dad was so mechanically uh, oriented, and I can't, couldn't begin to do some of the stuff he had. The one thing I seem to have developed a good talent for is remembering dates, names, faces, and events. And I think I tie a lot of those together by the dates. Uh, because of my mathematical background. And so that's probably helped me remember uh, things. It's helped me also when I, uh, you know, get interviewed with, you know, like I'm doing with you and like I do with uh, uh, Anthony Rothman every Saturday. Uh, we sometimes talk about dates and things like that, and that triggers my memory some. Is it like a, a filing cabinet in your brain that all those files are in there, and when you ask a certain date or time, you open <laughs> up the file and pull it out, and your brain reads it? And I mean, are you always thinking yeah. about this? Do you have to yeah. memorize it, or, or does I it just come to you when you need it? I think it happens that way. Uh, if I've read something, I retain it a lot longer than if somebody has said it to me. If somebody says something to me that I think is really interesting and I'm learning so much from them about, or I've done this with former football players, but I'll go back and I'll pull up what I can on that subject and I'll read it. And when I used to do a lot of flying, I would make copies of those and I would take those copies with me on the airplane and I would read that and I would underline it and I would make little notes out in the margins. And then I can kind of pull that up then when I want to talk about that sometime into the future. So okay. uh, I, I think that's probably helped me a good bit. Let's play a little game here, because obviously we had talked forever. You know that, Jack. I'm so interested. <laughs> but I want to make sure people are entertained, and and, they're, and I'm sure they are. I'm just going to ask you a name or a question and just kind of give it like a, a Reader's Digest kind of answer, and we'll we'll move on to one, one point after another, just so people can get your interpretation of, if I ask you just about Woody Hayes in general, you know, just what are your thoughts but that, without killing it that, that would share us an idea of, where you where you're at yeah. jack i did not know woody hayes very well i had five different encounters with him i would say three of them were interviews a couple other ones like at a dinner and so forth uh, we were certainly not close friends at all when i would see him after i'd met with him two or three times he would always be very kind and say how you doing i don't think he could remember my name so i don't want anybody to think i was a real close friend of woody hayes's but what i learned about woody hayes he was a much greater American than he was a football coach. And the highlight of his life was serving our country in World War II. It was so evident when I would go in to interview him. And I'd want to talk about the Michigan game in 1954, or I'd want to talk about the Archie Griffins four years of 72 through 75, or or I'd want to talk with him about what was Bo Schembechler like when he was an assistant coach to you. But Woody controlled the interviews. (laughs) There's no question about it. And we got into World War II and things like that. My mother was a high school history teacher. I so wish she could have met him uh, sometimes. I think they would have had a field day together. And she loved American history. And, of course, uh, Hayes knew everything about the history of this country. So I would say he was such a great American, such a supporter of our country. And he did that in so many ways. During the, the 60s and into the early 70s, when there was so much eruption on campuses and Ohio State had its share, of course, uh, this year has been the 50th anniversary of the Kent State 
situation of four kids that lost their lives there. And he was out on the campus talking with kids, and it really bothered him that they showed such disrespect for our country. And he says if we've got problems, we need to solve those problems. But, you know, setting fires is not going to solve the problem. Wow. Isn't that kind of prophetic in a way? Yes. Yes, (laughs) it is. (laughs) Now, let's go to football. Of course, you know, he had a 76% winning percentage. In 28 years at Ohio State, Ohio State won 13 Big Ten titles and five national championships. And, of course, he had the only two-time winner of the Heisman Trophy in Archie. And he had a Heisman Trophy winner in uh, Hopalong Cassidy back in 1955. In fact, it's kind of interesting. Uh, <clears throat> this this year is the uh, 65th anniversary of uh, Hopalong Cassidy winning the 1955 uh, Heisman Trophy. And, uh, uh, of course, you know, uh, we won two back-to-back undefeated Big Ten titles in 54 and 55 when the Big Ten was really, really strong down the ranks. He also coached Vic Janowitz, who was a Heisman Trophy winner, but that comes with a little bit of an asterisk as far as Woody Hayes is concerned because Vic won the Heisman in 1950, when Wes Fessler was in his last season as head coach. And Wes resigned after the season and eventually took the job at Minnesota. And then Vic played his last year, his senior year, which was Woody's first year as a head coach. Woody did not get off to a real strong start at Ohio State either. He was 4-3-2 and two his first year. He was 6-3 and three his second year. And it was a very strong 6-3 and because he beat Wisconsin, who was the number one team in the country that year. Uh, at the time he beat them, they weren't after he beat them, but they were the number one team uh, before Ohio State beat them that season. And that was the first time Ohio State had ever defeated the number one ranked team in its history. Also, he beat Michigan badly that year, uh, 27-7, and kept them out of the Rose Bowl. So the 52 season was pretty good, 6-3. and three. The sixty, the fifty-three season was also six and three, but it was a much worker. It was a much weaker six and three. Uh, we were beaten by Illinois, forty-one to twenty. They had two sophomore halfbacks, the name of J.C. Caroline and Mickey Bates, that just ran out, ran us out of Ohio Stadium. And the game was far worse than suggested by the forty-one to twenty score. In fact, Illinois had two touchdowns called back that day. And then at the end of the year, uh, we went to Michigan and lost. And even though he had defeated Michigan in 1952, his 51 and 53 teams not only lost to Michigan, but they were shut out, both of those games. Wow. So the, night, the winner of 1954, after the 53 season, I think was a cold winner for him. A lot of people wondered, you know, he, he'll be here another year, but if, if it's, things don't improve, he probably won't be here. And, of course, the 54 team with Cassidy and Watkins and Dave Leggett, a quarterback, an All-American then by the name of Dean Duggar, a sophomore guard by the name of Jim Parker, yes. uh, who to this day may be the greatest lineman Ohio State ever had. Uh, they really put it all together for him. And he said many, many years later those guys saved his job, and they probably did. Ohio State went 10-0, and uh, won the Rose Bowl, won the national championship, and Woody Hayes' career was – off and running. Now, now let me ask you this, because again, we got to start shortening the ups, or, or we'll miss some topics. The, uh, the, the sixty-nine season, how disappointing was that, and what do you remember of it? And can you share with us? 
Yeah, the 69 game at Michigan, yeah, yeah, the the 24-12 game, Gary. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's in my opinion, it's the most significant uh, Big Ten game ever played. Oh, okay. I think it is. Uh, Explain. Uh, Ohio State had a 22 game winning streak going into that game that stretched back to 67. Now we only played nine games and then a bowl game every other year back at that time. It wasn't like we're playing 14 games. But we'd won the last four games of 67. It started up at Michigan State uh, on the, the 4th of November that year. And then we won every game in 68 with the Super Sophomores. And then 69 is the 100th year of college football. The first game, of course, Princeton and, uh, and uh, Rutgers was played in 1869. So 1969, you know, everything that year is 100th anniversary of football, and sports writers are saying this Ohio State team in 100 years and uh, on the 100th anniversary of college football, this is the greatest Ohio, this is the greatest college team ever uh, ever assembled. Like right Check now, like right now, oh my God. Yeah, well, I remember there was one article, somebody said that the only team that can really probably give Ohio State a game this year would be the Green Bay Packers, you know, <laughs> at that time. Well, we went to uh, Michigan, and what a, what a storybook uh, ending for, for Michigan. What a storybook story for Michigan. They've got a new coach, oh, Bo Schembecker, 39 years old. Nobody could even pronounce his name. They'd never heard of the guy. Don Canham hired him as coach as his second choice. The choice he wanted, he wanted Joe Paterno, and Paterno met with him and elected to stay at Penn State. Mm. But Don Cannon really wanted Joe Paterno to come to Michigan because he knew he needed you know, a coach who was really starting to do well. Well, when that didn't work out, Weeb Eubank, who was from, of course, Miami, grew up in, in Miami of Ohio and everything, and was coaching for the New York Jets, happened to talk to uh, Bump Elliott at the Heisman dinner in late 1968, and that's when Ohio, that's when uh, Michigan needed a new coach, and Paterno had just talked them, turned them down. Uh, Bump Elliott had never met uh, Weeb Eubank, but they struck up a conversation and coaches in Ohio and all this. And of course, well, of course, uh, Bump was from Michigan, but he said, you know, if you're looking for a new coach, there's a guy down at Miami right now that no, too many, not too many people have heard of, but I think he's been there six years. He's not going to stay there a lot longer. If I were you, I'd take a look at him. And and when I, I, I mean, I, I, I interviewed Bump Elliott one time, and he said I went back, and he says I told our athletic director, Don Canham, about this guy. He says I couldn't pronounce his name. We had <laughs> Schembechler. But they interviewed him, and it, it, it just it was a good interview. And they said, "Well, you're our guy." And that was that's probably the best decision Michigan ever made. Really, the ten year war. Where they are now yeah. compared to what they were back going into this time. The ten year war and, began, and oh yeah, boy! And then he pulled off the game of the century when he beat a, beat us twenty four to twelve when we had that twenty two game winning streak. And there's a lot of leadership in what he did. Uh, Bo always said, "What the mind can conceive, what the mind can conceive, the mind can believe, and those that stay will be champions." Yes. And that sign 
uh, still hangs in the mm. Michigan Athletic Department today. They, I saw it when I was up there just last fall for our game. They need They'll a new sign. sign there. They need a new sign now, Jack. <laughs> yeah, they sure do. Yeah. Well, you yeah. know, he convinced those kids in spring practice that they could beat Ohio State coming up in the fall. He said they'll be undefeated when they come in here. And you guys, you got to start mentally preparing for that game right now. And that spring practice in 1969 at Michigan was nothing like those kids had ever seen before in terms of toughness. And you got to be much more mentally tough. you got to be much more physically tough. And about a third of his team quit. And if he was here with us tonight, Gary, he wouldn't say they were bad kids that quit. They just had other priorities. Yeah. Oh, boy. And Bo was always the guy to say, you'll never really, really be successful unless you have a group of people with you that are 100% committed to the task at hand. Wow. And that was what he had. <laughs> he pulled it off. And it was it just, to wow. this day, it's hard to imagine how that happened. And, you know, Jim Otis is a good friend of mine. He was the fullback on that team. In fact, that was his last game uh, as a Buckeye. Wow. And Jim told me when the Ohio State team got back to Columbus that night, <laughs> this is the dedication of Woody Hayes. He went right to his office and started working on the 1970 game. He had a couple hours before he had to get down to 10 TV and do his, you know, he always did a, a Saturday night, the Woody Hayes show that come on at 1130 every Saturday night. People stayed up to watch it. Paul Horning was a longtime moderator with him. Wow. But he went back to his office and got a couple of hours of work on the 1960, uh, 1970 game before that. I mean, he was just so dedicated that way. Uh, I think he's, uh, I mean, to summarize your question, who is Woody Hayes? I think he's the biggest figure. Uh, probably in Ohio State in Ohio State University history, I really do. Wow. He's far more than football, because so many good things have happened at Ohio State. Because Ohio State became well known, partly because of its football program. He also had his detractors, and there were faculty people there that were very, very jealous of the tremendous notoriety the football program was gaining nationally because of its success. That didn't mean that they were bad professors. They may be okay professors, but some of them resented that. They really resented that, and that's why they voted down going to the Rose Bowl at the end of the 1961 season. Uh, I mean, they prevented him. That was kind of the way they could use their power to, uh, you know, kind of slow down the football program, as you might say. Okay, let's move on. Two more guys, and then we'll kind of wrap it up. But I got to ask you about my my beloved head, the president of Youngstown State University, former head Buckeye coach. Give us your thoughts on Jim Trestle, something significant about him, and then something significant as well about Urban Meyer, and then we'll, we'll yeah. try to wrap up after that. Go ahead, Jack. Yeah, I think they're, they're two of the greatest coaches Ohio State could ever have hired. I think we have the third one with us right now, but when I talk with you in 10 years, we'll know more about that, Gary, after Ryan Day's been here another six or eight years. God willing, uh, yes. Jim and Urban were both so, so successful in everything that they did. Uh, I got to know both of them pretty well, did interviews with them. I was the MC for a lot of their charity luncheons and dinners, uh, and they were quite different personalities, basically. Uh, I would call Jim Trestle the organization man, and he really was organized. Now, that's not to say that Urban Meyer was not organized, but Jim's was just maybe a little uh, more uh, relaxed in a certain way, and uh, he knew everything about what was going on in that football program. He hired extremely, extremely talented assistant coaches. 
I mean, people like Mark Antonio, for instance. We would never have won that 2002 national title, I don't think, without Mark Antonio as the defensive coordinator. And sometimes as the years move along, we forget some of those people that are just behind the scenes a little bit uh, that help do that. Woody Hayes had one by the name of Lyle Clark that was a defensive line coach in his first years. Ohio State would never have won the national title in 1954 without Lyle Clark. Uh, that defensive team only gave up 75 points in 1954. So Jim was a great organizer and obviously a tremendous recruiter. Uh, I think he also, he, he I would, can remember hearing him say this so many times, and you probably can too when you heard him speak, but, you know, he said when, when they win a really, really great game, don't get too overconfident because yeah. it probably wasn't that good. <laughs> and then when you lose a game and it's really a tough loss, well, it's only one game and it's probably not that bad. And the sun will come up in the uh, east tomorrow and we're going to play another game next Saturday. And that was his approach to it. And, uh, and he did a great job. I think Urban Meyer was a little bit more uh, high key, maybe a little bit more intense the way he ran his program. And uh, he ran it with, of course, such success in doing that and everything. I mean, my, oh, my, the players that Urban Meyer brought in here. In seven years, Gary, Ohio State lost nine games. And when you go back over those nine losses, there's three of them in particular. You wonder how in the world did we ever lose those games? Of course, we won a few that were right down to the end. That one game up at Michigan. Yeah, uh, over, yeah. Overtime. 42-41, yeah, we went and for they, they went for two points at the end and yeah. didn't make it. And how about that game out at Maryland last year? Yeah. Not last year, but the year before. Yep. 52-51, and they missed. The guy was wide open in the end zone for a two-point conversion that would have given Maryland the victory, and the quarterback missed him. You know, those 51 points that we gave up at Maryland in that game, that's the most points Ohio State has ever given up and still won the game. Wow. Uh, 51 points. So Urban's team gave up a lot more points than Jim's. Jim's team played a little bit closer to the best. Uh, I, I know the 2002 Michigan game, which we needed to get, basically to get to the national title game, and of course won the national title. But uh, that, if you tell people about that game, they'll think, well, it must have been a pretty boring game. Ohio State won the game 14-9. to It was one of the best executed games on both parts. It really was. Michigan got inside the Ohio State red zone, inside the 20, three times that game. And they ended up with three field goals, nine points. Ohio State got inside the uh, uh, Michigan red zone only twice and scored touchdowns on both of those drives. And there's a game where Craig Krenzel, wow, you know, I mean, to, to me, Craig Krenzel's performance in that 2002 national title or 2002 Michigan game, running that team, just managing it, uh, almost perfect. It was just almost perfect there. So I'd say coaches, you know, two very, very different personalities, which I guess in the world of leadership and everything, it shows you there's there's more than one way to lead. Uh, you go back to the great New York Giant teams of the middle 1950s. A guy by the name of Jim Lee Howe was the head coach. Not too many people ever heard of Jim Lee Howe before, and not too many people uh, remember him afterwards. He won an NFL title and had such tremendous teams in those years. And he would tell you, if he was with us tonight, you know what he would tell us? He says, you know what I did? 
I hired an offensive coordinator and I hired a defensive coordinator. He was the first one in football really to ever do that to that extent that he put the entire offensive team in charge of one man and he put the entire defensive team in charge of another one. And he basically just kind of oversaw things and, and made things, sure things were going smoothly. Do you know who those two guys that he hired to do that? His offensive coordinator was uh, Vince Lombardi <laughs> before Vince got the job in Green Bay. And his defensive coordinator was Tom Landry <laughs> before Tom Landry became the founding coach of the Dallas Cowboys mm -hmm. in 1970. How about that for picking wow. your talent? Not He's like Chuck Knoll. <laughs> Not too bad, huh? Um, Not too bad. Jack, let me ask you real quick before, uh, your thoughts on, on our friend in here from Youngstown, Maurice Claret. Uh, how do you view his short, brief career with the with the Buckeyes, and what do you, what do you take away from what he – you know his his legacy might be going on going forward here. Who Ryan Day? No, no, Maurice Claret. I'm asking you a person. He's a Youngstown guy, and oh, you know what Maurice do you, Claret. Yeah, yeah. What, what do you think of his uh, his chances of of a, having a legacy that's yeah, positive? It, uh, first of all, I think as Ohio State fans, uh, we really appreciate what he did in that 2002 season. Uh, I've never met Maurice Claret. I've interviewed a lot of players over the years. I I don't think I've ever even as much as shaken hands with him, let alone uh, have an interview with him. I've seen him speak a couple times, and that's fairly recently. And he, he speaks very well. Uh, I just think probably as a young man coming at that young age, and this is just my opinion, he was a young man that made a lot of poor decisions. And you can make a poor decision every once in a while, and, and you have to recover from it, and you get some help. I think he made a lot of poor decisions, and I don't think Ohio State had any choice, basically. And it's too bad, because who knows what he could have become. Could he have become another two-time Heisman Trophy winner? I don't think that would have been beyond the realm of possibility. Now, I'm not going to say it was a high probability, and maybe it wasn't even a high probability he'd win one Heisman. But when you look at his freshman year compared to Archie Griffin's freshman year, and Archie had a tremendous freshman year, Claret, we wouldn't have won that national title without Maurice Claret. There's no question about it. In fact, if you go to one play, that yeah. strip yes. in the national championship game, yes. and Gary, the, the young kid's name escapes me. He was a defensive back, and he came out. In fact, he was so tragically killed in Miami here just a few years ago. But he brought that ball out of the end zone. That interception. Taylor, Sean Taylor. Sean Taylor, maybe? Yeah. Sean Taylor, that's who it was. Yeah. That interception was very deep in the end zone. He probably should never have brought it out. But he brought it out to around the 35 or 40. And not only did Maurice tackle him, he stripped the ball. And, you know, we got the ball. And then we went back down. We didn't get the touchdown that we might have gotten on the other, the, the position right before that. But we got a field goal. And that also took them out of scoring position, and I think that was the key play of the year in 2002. You mentioned uh, Archie's freshman year. How does statistically tell us how Maurice Fre Claret's freshman year matches up statistically with Archie, or did it, or, or was it comparable at all? Yeah, I uh, Maurice had a lot more yards, of course, than Archie did, but there's another thing to that. That's the year 2002, and we're playing 11 games. And in Archie's year, we only play a nine-game regular season, 
And he didn't start the first game. He only got in for about three plays that first game. So he really only had eight games and then the Rose Bowl game that year. But he had 800 and some yards. And then, of course, he had way, way over 1,000 and 1,500 and things like that uh, the next three years and everything there. Uh, the one thing I would say about Archie, of all the running backs we've had at Ohio State, in fact, of all the players we've had at Ohio State, not only was he so excellent at what he did, he was so consistent. I mean, you could count on him. And, boy, I'll tell you, in life or in your business or in your family or anything else, you want to always be able to count on those people that have certain responsibilities and things like that. And why was he – what tells me that that's one of his greatest traits? It tells everybody this. He had 31 consecutive games of racing for 100 and more, uh, more than 100 yards. And now he had a lot of great blockers up in front. Oh, my. Yeah. Kurt Schumacher and John Hicks and you name them. I mean, all the great, great linemen that were up there ahead of him uh, in doing that. And he'll tell you the same thing, too. But uh, Archie was consistent, and uh, he was so modest. I mean, he never – his success never ever uh, in any way has ever been arrogant. Uh, I've known Archie since 1976. In fact, uh, he has either done the foreword or the introduction for every one of the books that I've written. And I feel very, very fortunate that uh, that he would do that and write those for me. We've become good friends over the years. I don't see him nearly as much now. I think Archie's kind of maybe somewhat retired, semi-retired. He spends a lot of time down in Florida now. Uh, last April, uh, a year ago this past April, so in fact, it'll soon be two years now coming up this next April, uh, I was fortunate I went down to Sarasota uh, Ohio State Alumni Club asked me to come down and speak at a fundraiser for them, and uh, he lives down that area. So he and I had a nice dinner the night before, and then he was at the program then on Saturday. And then I uh, uh, I saw him a couple times last fall, but I haven't seen him probably since uh, the weekend of the uh, Michigan game last year. Well, let me ask you, do you have, is it fair to even ask you, do you have a favorite Buckeye of all time? I'll, I'll, mine is Ted Ginn Jr., just because I have a like a, you know, a personal relationship with the family, and I know a little sure. bit about him. And he's been a great Buckeye and a great pro, and never had a complaint against Ted Ginn Jr. anywhere. No, uh, no. But do you have a favorite over all your years? Well, and the thing is, Ted Ginn Jr., his dad uh, did so much for young people coming yes. out of... Uh, and I've seen it all. I've been, I've been in, in the program a long time. Yeah. He's and a great person. Uh, the dad. Troy Smith, Troy Smith was one of those. Yes. That uh, came out of yeah. that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I guess I don't have any one-time favorite. I really don't, Gary. I don't uh, – if I had to pick one, it probably would be Archie Griffin because he's a two-time Heisman Trophy winner. And uh, in his four years here, Ohio State only lost five games, never lost to Michigan, won every home game, played in four Rose Bowls, uh, again, four Big Ten championships, and, uh, and there were so many other people. I mean, the quarterback there those last three years, Cornelius Green, obviously he played a big role in that. Pete Johnson was the fullback. Brian Bashnagel, the wingback out of the Pittsburgh North Hills Catholic High School. Great, great high school there in the Pittsburgh area for football. And, uh, uh, you know, Brian was, was great. They had so many great people, players on that team. Uh, if you go back, Keith Byers, Earl Bruce has told me many times that Keith Byers was the best running back Ohio State ever had. Now, of course, he was a little prejudiced because he was Keith's guy, and Keith won them a lot of games. But I think Keith 
should have won the Heisman Trophy in 1984. I really do. And uh, Doug Flutie got it with that one pass yeah. in one game at the end of the season. Had Keith not hurt his uh, leg, yeah. is basically going into the 85 yeah. season, I think he would have had a good chance to win it there. But he was never at full strength in 1985. In fact, I don't think he even got into a game until about the middle of the season. And we had a great, great win over number one Iowa that year that was on the 2nd of November. But he didn't play in the game because he just wasn't well enough to play. John Woolridge uh, played tailback in that game and did a great, great job there. But Keith Byers would be there. If you get back into the early 60s, Matt Snell and Paul Warfield and Bob Ferguson and Bill Murkowski, great, great backfield then. And, of course, you get back um, Jim Houston out of Cleveland, you know, the great, great, he was out of Maslin and then ended up living in Cleveland. But Houston, uh, he helped Maslin High School win a state championship. He helped Ohio State win a national championship. And then he was a, a key player on the Cleveland Browns, so their last NFL title. I mean, he had a, all three of those were within the state of Ohio, too. Jim was one of four brothers that played college football. Uh, and so, uh, he had an older brother that was an All American here under Paul Brown, and he had two brothers that, uh, played college football out of Purdue. Great, great football family there. I guess if you get back into the 40s, you speak about Les Horvath. And uh, then you come up, of course, to Vic Janowitz, the 1950 Heisman Trophy winner and everything like that. So just just a really a lot of them. Wow, this is incredible. I, I, I have a smile on my face. I assume a lot of Buckeye fans listening in have, uh, are doing the same. Just listening to you, just, it, just, wow, it's incredible. To put a bow on this, Jack, what has all this meant to you and, and the people you've met and the places you've been able to go? How incredible has your life been from your perspective of, boy, you know, I, I fell into something that's turned into be so great and so yeah. life, life-changing for me, I assume. Is that correct? Well, as, as, as the years have gone along, uh, you're a good example. It's the friendships that I've made over the years. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Jack. I appreciate that coming no, from, and I mean that from you as a Buckeye icon and legend. Yeah. And, and but my, all the former yeah. players I've become friends with and have done interviews with that have helped me. Uh, Maureen Zapala, a lady that she now lives out in Las Vegas, she and I co-authored my latest book, and yes. she's actually a Notre Dame graduate, a huge <laughs> football oh. fan. She's actually an engineering graduate from uh, Notre Dame and uh, uh, worked as an engineering manager at NASA for several years. First woman to be uh, in, in, in as high a management position in their one division. She's a brilliant woman, and to make her friendship and to uh, write a book together was very, very interesting. The more we wrote that book, the more we worked together on the book, the more we found out how different we were. And that turned out to be a real plus in a partnership that you, you know, you got people with different skills that supplement each other and that type of thing. And, of course, all the people with the radio stations over the years and everything like that, uh, uh, I've become very good friends with the three guys that started the Second and Seven Foundation. Yes, tell us about and it real that, quick. Yeah, that started back in 1997 after they finished their course. Ryan Miller and Luke Fickle and Mike Rabel, three really great, great defensive players under John Cooper. And basically they started the Second and Seven Foundation as strictly a charity organization. They don't make any money out of this at all, but they do a lot of fundraising events for... Uh, to buy books, basically, for uh, a lot of young people that maybe grow up in certain areas that there, there are no books within the family, and they have nobody at home to read to them, and they don't know how to read. And they 
put together a very, very extensive program where people go in and read to the students during the, in the second grade. And uh, that's why they call it the Second and Seven Foundation. The first year they started it, seven different schools wanted that. And so they did that for seven different schools. They were all here in the Columbus area. And over the last 21 years, that has spread to 22 different states that schools do that. So I've got a lot of admiration for what those three guys have done just for society, basically. And I'm very proud to have them as uh, very close friends. Well, you seem you seem to have had a chance to, to to live the Buckeye life that many Buckeye fans uh, just aspire to. At least you know getting to be right in the thick of Buckeye Nation. And you know, I'm one of the people who have been fortunate enough to cross paths with you, and I'm so grateful because I'm a fan, Jack. You know, I'm a Buckeye fan as well, no matter Boy, what. I know they are. I you know, are. yeah, and, and 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 you and Big Nut and all the people that I've got to meet over the years is like any yeah. fan would imagine would be just a, a great thrill because of who you are and what you represent, and and I'm grateful well, Gary, to you for your friendship. Gary, you, you God bless you. Best, you take the best pictures. <laughs> oh, stop. Got yeah. Some of our pictures in our <laughs> yeah. book. Yes, thank you so much. Yes. <laughs> And, that, and they're and, in very prominent positions in our yes. books too. And 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 your your webpage has one of my pictures of you on there as well. And I I'm just grateful that you would even uh, yeah. include me in anything that you do. And sure. I'm very proud to know you and, and yeah. got yeah. and and. and Jeez, and you know how we roll on Saturdays. We have the best damn tailgate in the land. Don't you agree? From the people you've met at our tailgates, Jack. Yeah. Well, I hope we uh, can see. Uh, what are your Saturdays like, Gary? Are you doing work well, from home? Or? Well, well, I went to the first game, and I'm very grateful. It was my first. And, Jack, here's a stat for you, being a historian. The second game, Rutgers, that I didn't get to go to was the first game in 20 home seasons that I've never yeah. had been inside Ohio Stadium since Jim Trussell's first game against Akron. I've never yeah. missed a home game until yeah. the second game of this year. But I'm glad I got to go to the first one because, in a way, it was an historic game in itself just because of, wow, it was so Absolutely. eerie. It was like the Twilight Zone in, yeah. in, in, in living color. That's how I tell yeah. people. So. Yeah. You know, I'm just grateful for all the opportunities I've had, Jack, and I know you know you're you're you probably feel the same on a different level. I'm sure. Well, I uh, just appreciate that we have television. I uh, tell everybody uh, watch the game on TV, whatever station it is, and turn the sound down and listen to yeah. Yeah. Uh, Paul Keels, Jim yeah. Lachey, and yes. all the guys, Skip Mossick, on the Ohio State Football Radio Network. They do a great, great job of. Uh, Covering the game, Matt Andrews is now was our is our sideline reporter. He's up in the stadium somewhere. In fact, I think Matt has a whole section all to himself now. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy now. Oh wow! But they do a great job yeah. of describing the game, and uh, I love to listen to the radio broadcast. Not because I work for that station and and do work on the pregame show, I, uh, but they do a great great job. I don't know that there's a better play-by-play broadcast team in the country than what we have. I'm very prejudiced about that, of course. Yes. So that's what my Saturdays are like now. Yeah. I, I watch the game and I listen to the radio broadcast yeah. and, and I'm enjoying Ohio State football that way and just uh, feel uh, privileged to be able to do that. And we have state finals this weekend, so I'll mix in the, the, the yeah. two state finals and Buckeyes in some way or another. It'll be a great weekend. And and, yeah. uh, and we're playing football, Jack. That's all that matters, right? That's, that's all that matters. God that's bless you. Matters. God bless you, Jack. Thank you for coming on with us. Uh, Ohio State legend. If you don't know who he was now, hopefully you have a better idea if, if you listen to the whole program. Thank you, Jack, and I look Gary, forward to seeing good. you. And let me say one other thing. I want to wish you the very best in everything with all your health matters coming up and everything. I hope everything uh, works out fine. And I look forward to talking with you real good soon, Gary. Thank you so much, Jack. God bless you. Go Bucks. God bless you, sir. Take care. Thanks, Jack. Bye. Bye.
Die.